0: Welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, David. I understand we have uh, Deb Gray returning to uh, talk with us today. Thanks, Tom. Very excited to have Deb back. She's one of my favorite people for many reasons. But she's one of our success stories of the whole doc program. She's also been very inspiring with the story and how she keeps moving forward through under pretty darn extreme adversity. But um Deb is a um licensed clinical social worker. And I'll explain a little bit what she does. She's extraordinarily busy, as busy as I am. I actually think she's busier, which I'm sort of impressed with because I'm not so I'm pretty active myself. But she also has been through an extraordinary amount of stress, even more now than when she had chronic pain before. And she pointed out in the first podcast about how really one of the earlier things that helped her deal with chronic pain was noticing the link between stress and pain. And that was part of breaking up the whole process. But anyway, Dale, welcome back. And we're excited to have you on the show. Thank you. Could you review really quickly again, just your background and how we met?
1: Sure. Uh, so I'm a clinical social worker. I ended up having some chronic pain due to a change in a contract where I was leaving a facility and my people weren't going to be taken care of. There was nobody to take my place. And um, as a result, I took on a lot of anxiety and I feel like it really just landed in my shoulders and my neck. Um, And as a result of that, I ended up in this this chronic pain issue that I could not get rid of. And it was like, I was months into it. And my friend, Fred, who is also your friend, Fred Luskin, um, sent me your book. And once I read the book, I decided the very first thing I could do was address the sleep issue, because that's what you recommended. And so I started there. And then within a couple months after I had the book, I was at your Omega workshop, where I was really struggling. However, I was really trying to learn. And, um, and we stayed in touch. And I continued to use the model that I learned at Omega and through the book. And within a number of months, by the time the workshop rolled around again the next year, I'd been pain-free for about two months. So it took me about 10 months after um, the workshop to actually get to pain-free. Right. But I think between the book, the workshop, and like you happened to note in the last episode, uh, when I took control of that and decided that I was really going to get better no matter what, um, and I found the things that worked for me.
0: Right. Well, the three parts that we talked about in the last podcast is three parts of healing pain. One is understanding it and understanding your situation relationship to it. The second part is really dealing with every aspect of it simultaneously. It turns out that everything is partially effective in chronic pain, but nothing works in isolation. The third part is you take control. But I think one of the bigger factors that we discussed in the earlier podcast was that you after you had read my book you now saw the link between stress and pain whereas before that you you had not necessarily seen that link correct
1: right i actually hadn't even linked it to my situation because it occurred like a few months later
0: okay
1: um i hadn't linked it but i do think it was holding that tension and I'm, i'm absolutely convinced to this day that that was what initiated it and that, that along with computer work and previous accidents and that was right. that, that a setup.
0: Well, again, chronic pain, what's really key about chronic pain, that in medicine right now, so chronic pain is complicated. It's affected by sleep, by stress, by exercise, physical conditioning. Uh, we're going to talk about the anti-inflammatory aspect of it in a second. But there's multiple things that affect each person's perception of pain Everybody's profile is different. And what we're doing in medicine right now, we're throwing random simplistic solutions at a complex problem. The third part about you taking control is that since every person's situation is unique, since we each look at life differently, the solution basically is something you have to figure out yourself. What the DOC project does, which by the way stands for Direct Your Own Care, gives you a framework to organize your thinking. And you can say, well, okay, this is this. This is not relevant. I'm going to deal with this. And just reviewing your prior your prior formula was sleep was number one, which from my perspective is always number one. Well, actually, number one me is understanding pain. And the second step is sleep. And then you mentioned you stopped physical therapy, which was actually aggravating things. And then you um, took glucosamine, but also you went to an anti-inflammatory diet, correct? Yes. Okay, because I forgot about that from before. And just to be clear, glucosamine is an interesting drug. It has what happens is supposedly helps supposed to help you supposed to regenerate cartilage in your different joints. The reality is it doesn't do that. We we know even theoretically it can't go from the bloodstream into cartilage and form cartilage. But we do know that glucosamine has a very definite anti-inflammatory effect. So it does give symptomatic relief, even though it doesn't regenerate cartilage. And that's been shown consistently that glucosamine does have an anti- anti-inflammatory effect. And then you also went to an anti-inflammatory diet, correct?
1: Yes, yeah, for the most part.
0: And I, and I was curious what, first of all, what your thoughts are on inflammation and pain, but also what your what your version of anti-inflammatory diet looks like.
1: Okay, so um, I, I think, um, well, my, the diet, um, it, 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 a lot of it's getting rid of sugar and okay. uh, i'm not very good at that okay <laughs> so i go back and forth right um, but uh, i just came off a 10-day detox okay. that was my at the end of 10 days and i stayed on it so i'm actually trying to keep that which is no sugars um right. and i do know like things like cinnamon and turmeric and uh, so, some other spices and herbs and things like that can also help with right. Just trying to eat healthier in general, right? Um, And then the inflammation. um, My understanding is is that when you are stressed out, there's a whole set of chemicals that can also that work as inflammation as well. And something too that you had said earlier, and I've also learned you know through my research as well as as I've been reading, is that um, the chronic pain will acute pain will stay in the right part of the brain. Right. But as, as your as the pain becomes more chronic, the fMRI's can actually demonstrate that it's moving to the left side of the brain, and the left side of the brain is where we hold our emotional and our creativity. Right. So, so once you're there, um, anything that's stressful can also act as an inflammatory, and it will right. come right, Any kind of negative emotion, depression, anger, anxiety, all right. of it. And actually exacerbate your pain
0: problem. Well, let's talk about inflammation just for a second. So first of all, the paper you discussed is out of Chicago. It's a really probably a landmark paper is that they took people with acute low back pain. They did what's called a functional MRI scan of people's brains, which measures metabolic activity in different parts of the brain. There's a certain part of the brain that corresponds to the pain center of the low back. With people with acute pain less than three months, why the back pain center lit up every time, every patient consistently, then they compare that with people that had chronic pain for more than 10 years, and there's no activity in the pain center. It was just in the emotional center. Then they follow the acute group, half of those for about a year, getting scans every three months. Half the patients become chronic. Half the patients resolve their pain. The people who resolve their pain, the research MRI scan went to normal, just went to flat out normal. But in every patient who became chronic, the pain center again went quiet, but it shifted over to the emotional center, which is fascinating because what happens in medicine, you now have, I mean, the definition of chronic pain is that it is an embedded memory that becomes connected with more and more life events and the memory can't be erased. And so that would feel with the MRI scan research that you now have your pain connected with more and more life experiences, I get on a bed I hurt, I go to the store I hurt, I brush my teeth I hurt. So that pain gets connected with more and more life experiences. So it embeds the memory even deeper. It's very similar to an athlete learning a skill. So as far as inflammation is that the different supplements that you describe actually do affect inflammation. Um, But what people forget is that when you are I'd like to talk about anxiety just for a second. So I wrote a website post recently, which I think is really important. Probably the most important piece I'm going to write in my career. And just about six years of thinking came into one document. And the title is anxiety is a symptom, not a diagnosis and not a disease. And what happens is that anxiety is simply a barometer of your body's stress chemicals. So when you're Threatened with the physical threat, every living creature has a survival response, including human beings. So you have a threat, goes into your nervous system, your body secretes stress chemicals, adrenaline, cortisol, and histamines, and then you feel anxious. So anxiety is that word that describes the levels of your stress chemicals. When you're on the beach line in the sun and you're relaxed, you're full of oxytocin, the love drug, dopamine reward drug, serotonin, the antidepressant, and the GABA drugs, which are anti-anxiety drugs. So your body's full of those chemicals, you feel relaxed. You would never describe relaxed as a disease or a diagnosis, right? Same thing, your body's full of stress chemicals, your body now feel, you now feel anxious, but your your anxiety is simply a description of your symptoms. So what it does allows you sort of depersonalize the process. Okay, so I feel relaxed, my body's full of these great chemicals, I'm feeling stressed or anxious. Then I'm full of adrenaline, cortisol and histamines. And then what it does, that sensation is intended in every living creature to be so unpleasant that it compels you to take action. And if you can't escape the threat, then you're more trapped, your body secretes in more stress chemicals and you become angry. So anxiety and anger are the same thing. Humans have a major problem I call the curse of consciousness is that thoughts go to the same part of the brain as a physical threat So unpleasant thoughts go to the same part of the brain. You have the same chemical response, but you can't escape your thoughts And so what happens every human being has some level of chronic anxiety because it can't escape your thoughts And so you can suppress them which people do And it works for a while, but your body chemistry doesn't believe it. So even though you may not feel much anxiety You're getting sick in other places But the research is clearly showing that emotional pain and physical pain are processed in the same part of the brain. If you're not allowing yourself to feel emotional pain, guess what? You'll feel the physical pain or both, right? So going back to the information part of the discussion is that when your body full of stress chemicals, this is not psychological because this survival response has been documented to be a million times stronger than the conscious brain. I just happened to look it up this afternoon, but they, and counted the centers in the eyes and the skin, et cetera, they estimate that the brain processes, the unconscious brain processes, 11 million bits of information per second. The conscious brain processes 40. Okay, it's a million times stronger than the conscious brain. It's hugely more powerful than the conscious brain. So if we try to solve this unconscious survival response with only psychological means, it, it just doesn't work. As you know, in medicine, if you're told that you can't find something structurally wrong with your body, then it's going to be psychological, right? It's not psychological. And as you know, it's the link between stress and pain is that pain causes anxiety and frustration, which is supposed to. That's the intent of it. When other circumstances cause anxiety and frustration, they're simply linked to pain pathways. In other words, it neurons that fire together, wire together. Again, it's not psychological. It's just a linkage system. Going back to the information conversation, this is a long way of going back to the information conversation, is that when you're, one of the stress chemicals are histamines, which dramatically changes the inflammatory response. You go to an anti-inflammatory diet, which is helpful, definitely recommended, different anti-inflammatory drugs. But one of the, one of the symptoms of chronic, so by the, by the way, sustained stress chemical environment creates over 30 different physical symptoms. Things like rain in the ears, migraine headaches, irritable bowel, spastic bladder, also creates creates inflammation. So Achilles tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, tennis elbow, carpal tunnel, all those result from inflammation. So if you're going to really solve inflammatory pain, it's not only the anti-inflammatory diet, et cetera, it's actually calming down the nervous system so your your body's stress chemical profile changes. Mm -hmm. And I know I ran this by you before the podcast, but The one message I'm trying to get out to the world is that anxiety is just a description. It's not a diagnosis. It's the result of the sensory input. And if you look at it simply as a barometer that, okay, I feel anxious. My stress chemicals are elevated. The way you deal with anxiety is you decrease the stress chemicals. Now, there's lots of ways of doing that, but at the end of the day, that's all you're trying to do is decrease the stress chemicals. And then it's game on. As you decrease the stress chemicals of course histamines drop down it changes your inflammatory response so in addition to the other treatments why also calming down the nurses makes a huge difference because it changes your body's chemistry so i know it's probably more of an answer than you were looking for but you had referred to a little bit i did want to take this opportunity to explain that sequence um and you have a mental health background so i'm just curious what your thoughts are on the nature of anxiety
1: well, I was just thinking about, as you were talking about that, how um, there's so many things, you know, if, if you look at it from an inflammatory issue as well as a, a, a left brain versus right brain, and once once your system is all amped up, there's just so many tools and so many interventions now in the in the mental health field. Cognitive behavioral therapy has been kind of the therapy of choice if you're looking at using a psychological intervention for right. pain. Um, but along with that, now we have things like EMDR, right? desensitization reprocessing. Uh, can you, can work-
0: you explain EMDR to the audience just for a second?
1: Sure. Um, so the idea behind eye movement desensi- desensitization reprocessing that came from Francine Shapiro, and she was uh, taking a walk one day. She was really anxious, and then all of a sudden she realized her anxiety was gone, and so she started walking again and the anxiety was building up and then it was gone. So she noticed that her eyes were moving back and forth along her path, left and right. Okay. And and she realized that something was happening in the brain. Right. So what has happened since, and it's very well-researched intervention now for trauma, anxiety. um, I've used it, I I use it in my practice and I use it for math anxiety, um, relationship anxiety. Uh, trauma histories. I use it with veterans. I use it with uh, child abuse and neglect kinds of cases. And what it does is it allows you to actually uh, using that bilateral experience along with identifying the actual event, the worst part of it, and recognize an important piece of this is that you recognize what's happening in the body. Okay and what you've come to believe about yourself because of this experience, okay. and what you'd like to believe instead. I and, see. And what happens is, with that eye moment process, uh, the left and the right brain become able to talk again.
0: Right. So
1: move from, instead of being, like if you've had a trauma, it will often get locked in the emotional side of the brain. Right. So logically you can tell yourself, um, the person who caused this trauma has passed away, they're, they're gone. Right. Uh, feel frightened
0: right they still,
1: feel anxious, still feel angry and right. what happens with this is that it creates almost that wise mind that they talk about in dialectical behavioral therapy you know right. allowing both parts to talk to each other again right um, so so what happens is you end up processing the information and it's very quick they call it a power therapy because what i might spend a year talking about in therapy in Right. Th- sessions, you've actually resolved it to the point where you can have the memory with no attachment to it. Gotcha. It no longer upsets you or depresses you or causes anger.
0: And you use it quite a bit in your own practice?
1: I use it it frequently. As as a matter of fact, I just used it today.
0: Do you have a feel for the type of situation that responds well to EMDR?
1: Um, Certainly anything traumatic. Okay. um, But also... um, Anything, like we talk about big traumas and little traumas, like the big traumas are, you know, an assault, a rape, witnessing violence, a natural disaster. There are also some very small, what could be considered small traumas, um, you know, being told that, uh, that will be one trauma that I worked with just today was uh, uh, an adult who, when she was a child, her grandfather pushed her off his lap after holding her cousin and cuddling her cousin, she was four years old, and the belief became, um, I'm not important. Wow. I don't count. And so we were addressing that from a perspective because it impacts every relationship. It impacts what happens to her at work. Somebody, she's an opinion, somebody ignores it or chooses to do something different, then it immediately sends that cascade of, I don't count.
0: Right. I mean, I I tell you, as a surgeon, when I used to hear about EMDR 30 years ago, I just thought this was the craziest thing ever. But now I know much more about chronic pain. It makes all the sense in the world. It's what we call a somatic tool. You're connecting thoughts with physical sensations. You're literally rewiring your brain and doing it relatively quickly. And then also this embedded memory is interesting because one one instant at age four creates a lifetime of reactions, right? right? Every time you react, that particular pathway or circuit gets reinforced, and it's not logical because as you get as an adult, you're not four years old anymore. But I've always said we get programmed by our past, right? It's like mm-hmm. if you scare a dog once, next time you walk in the room, the dog is not going to be your friend, right? So mm-hmm. all of us are, that's the way we stay alive now is that we look at the past. And as you know about the ACE scores, the adverse childhood experiences. Wow. Here.
1: Absolutely. And so
0: if you have a high, was called an ACE score, which we've discussed in this program in the past, which Simply, if you're raising a chaotic, unsafe household, as an adult, many more things are unsafe. That's why such horrible health effects of a chaotic childhood, because there's so many things in the present that seem dangerous to you now, because they were dangerous when you were a kid. And even though they're not dangerous as an adult, your brain doesn't know that, right?
1: Right. I also so, think that that's why I think that that's a precursor to chronic pain. Uh, Just like it's a precursor to mental health issues, it's also a precursor to chronic pain. I think your risk is much higher when you you have a high ACE score.
0: You know, it's interesting. I just happened to look at a paper today. It was a meta-analysis looking at the ACE scores in chronic pain. There actually is a very strong literature link between chronic pain and adverse childhood experiences. And just for the audience, I'll review this again, is that it's just this list of eight. some, Some people use a score of 10. It's simply a checklist documenting what your childhood was like, which was um, physical, sexual or emotional abuse or neglect, parent in prison, parent on drugs, parent with mental health issues or some of those. And basically it's a chaotic childhood is the bottom line. And what's disturbing is that if you have an A score of three or more, the chance of heart disease, suicide, obesity, drug abuse goes up unbelievably high mm-hmm. and thirty six percent of people had that a score of three or more. Only thirty percent of people have an a score of zero It's not i mean as it generally as our population we're not parenting all that well. The problem is, is you know we have these parenting patterns that are put onto us by our parents, then they play out in our own households, and so that whole you know generational pattern keeps keeps getting passed along so going back to the situation now I'd like to finish up if just describing just some rough details on the stresses you're under now compared to when you were in stress before and developed chronic pain, what have been some of your stresses now compared to then and how have you been able to deal with them?
1: Okay. Well, um, the last two years have probably been the most stressful years of my entire life. Um, I had a employee who left my employment and um, when I would, not uh, misrepresent a form with a licensing board, and I would not change the numbers for her. Uh, I ended up with five lawsuits filed against me. well wow. uh, I had, uh, and during the course of dealing with that, I had a son who was diagnosed on his 20, on his third, just the week before his thirtieth birthday, with aggressive B-cell lymphoma of the medulla. Wow! Yeah. Uh, and I went and spent five months with him while managing the company. Um, And then just in the last six months, my daughter's been diagnosed with uh, three brain aneurysms that are in a very uh, unsafe place. Um, But we're at this point where it's more dangerous to have surgery than than the likelihood of it rupturing. But those numbers will change over time. Um, And so she's dealing with the anxiety of Living with it while waiting for um, the right time for surgery.
0: Right. I mean, your so, stress points—your stress points are insane. I mean, that's, I mean, watching your children be ill is bad, but watching them be seriously ill is really incredibly distressing. And then, of course, anytime you're in a legal situation, that's a horrendous stress. And you mentioned that your pain never came back.
1: It never came back. And um, and as I had mentioned in the earlier podcast. I have, I know what works for me. Like I can use these tools, um, which again is uh, making sure I get good sleep. It's making sure that I'm eating well, uh, the glucosamine, um, and then, uh, getting regular physical exercise. I do believe in walking and right. you know, regular physical exercise and, and stress management. So for me, that means, um, questioning my thoughts. I, I can actually do EMDR. Uh, on myself. I don't do like a full-blown EMDR session, but I'm able to use live movements, the bilateral. Um, Yeah, another thing I do is something called brain spotting. Uh, I do a lot of mindfulness and meditation. Okay. Uh, And so I just and you had mentioned, and we actually hadn't mentioned this yet tonight, but when we were at the Omega, we played. Um, We did we learned the cup song. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Uh, just last week, honest to goodness, David, just last week, I was doing a group therapy session with a group of men with um, opiate addiction, and I was making them learn the cup song. <laughs> oh, <my> God. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't any better than we were.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a, I mean, my wife is a, you know, as you know, Jazz and my wife are rhythm geniuses, and I'm rather rhythm challenged, to put it mildly, but I'm impressed. That's exciting. Yeah,
1: so, you know, we, we, so I Or play, you know, and that socialization, um, you know, that's not something I mentioned because it comes naturally for me, but one of the things that I see with a lot of the people that I work with, whether they're clients, you know, or uh, or I've had a group for chronic pain or even family and friends, um, when you're in pain, you tend to isolate more, but when you're able to engage your natural support system and that's there, I do think that that's another, whether it's preventative or whether it's cur- curative, I'm not sure which, um, I do think that that's a very important piece that when you're in the midst of it, uh, recognize the risk of isolation and do something about it.
0: Now the data is extremely clear that they've done computer experiments that when you are sensing social isolation, it goes to the same area of the brain as physical pain, same chemical response, there's a book called Loneliness Out of Chicago that points out that the symptoms of social isolation are the same symptoms as chronic pain. Then it took me years to notice this, but I also noticed on my follow-up questionnaires when people check off what was helping them with chronic pain, re-engaging with family and friends was a huge factor in actually healing chronic pain. And I think it creates a shift off your pain circuits onto the more enjoyable circuits of life, which obviously has a positive effect on your body's chemistry, and also that inflammatory response that we talked about. But um, anyway, well, we could talk for a while. I mean, I, I had forgotten that you did EMDR, and I do agree it's a very important healing modality. And I think we discussed briefly about how inflammation, again, it's, it's always a multi-pronged approach, but between your glucosamine, other supplements, and actually uh, using the other tools that come down in your nervous system, it actually does affect inflammation directly, again, through the body chemistry. And, um, and then, you know, the is it's not mind over matter it's not being tough it's just a matter of sort of processing the pain in a way that doesn't take you down because pain's always there i mean life is full of stress and so if you're trying to avoid stress that's stressful and then honestly the amount of stress you're under is unbelievable and the fact you being able to keep using the tools and, and keep moving forward is really commendable it's really remarkable and that's why i had you on the show i wanted you to share this story
1: well, I still have a very meaningful and productive life. Absolutely. Um, uh, the, the, I, the one thing I did want to mention too is um, when you're talking about the chronic pain and the EMDR, uh, there is a study that was done as a research project and it was um, fibromyalgia okay. and it took five individuals, I believe it was either four or five individuals with the symptoms, gave them 12 sessions of EMDR and four out of five lost the, the diagnostic symptoms at the end when they dealt with the trauma. Um, I think that 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 kind of leads to the, there's even more truth and more uh, proof that if you can address the mental and emotional piece, you talk about it as anger, anxiety, and depression in your book. Right. That's a a really important piece. And there's so many different ways to get there. There's over 350 models of evidence-based practice in the mental health field of therapy. Um, right. so if one doesn't work try something else against that DOC model right uh, if it doesn't work find something else because there's so right. many, many things out there
0: right and then Deb also illustrates the classic absolute factor in solving chronic pain is taking control of your own care and that's a, that's a huge major factor of the thing but anyway thank you very very much it's always a pleasure to talk to you and uh, hopefully, hopefully we uh, can connect soon
1: I would like that very much
0: alright we'll see ya thank you Well, again, uh, thank you, Deb, for uh, your inspiring story, both past and present. And I want to remind our listeners to join us next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, uh, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.